Let's go, Ortberg. Hey, Scott, you are the man. Thanks for helping me get in shape. Uh, we have a great athlete coming Super Bowl weekend. I'm, I'm really pumped up about it. Well, my pleasure to help get you ready, John. I kind of wish it were me. You know, I played football at Stanford, and uh, weren't for that knee injury, I could have played pro ball. Yeah, you've mentioned that once or twice. Anyway, so, John, who, who is coming? Oh, Jeremy Affel. You're kidding, right? John, Jeremy Affel was a pitcher for the Giants. That's baseball. That's, that's not even a sport. The things they make me do. I'm so glad everybody here, all of our campuses online that you're joining us for this week. It's kind of an amazing weekend for the whole country. Everybody's focused on the Super Bowl game. I read this week that Americans this afternoon will eat 1.3 billion chicken wings and 7 million pounds of guacamole and 7 million Americans will call in sick for work tomorrow. Uh, everybody is so obsessed with winning at the Super Bowl that bets are placed not just on who's going to win or the score, but literally the over-under time for how long it will take Gladys Knight to sing the national anthem. Number set at 1 minute 47 seconds, people making bets on all that kind of stuff. So we thought this would be a great opportunity to talk about uh, what is it like if somebody is winning on the outside but losing on the inside. Uh, maybe the ultimate uh, description of this was given by Jesus. It's recorded in the Gospel of Mark, the eighth chapter, where Jesus said, what does it profit somebody if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? And the idea is that, you know, it's possible to be doing great on the outside. Your career might look really good. Financially, you might be doing really well. Fame, looks, whatever. But inside, your, your character or your relationships or your heart or your life with God could be kind of dying. A super important subject. We thought this weekend would be a great time to talk about it. And I'm so excited about who we get to talk about it with. Jeremy Affelt, a lot of you know, uh, was a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. How many Giants fans do we have? Okay, cool. Uh, he grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. His dad was with the Air Force. So uh, he actually then grew up in places like Merced and Guam. Loved baseball. Ended up pitching in the major leagues from 2002 until 2015. Uh, was with the Giants for a chunk of that time. He was set up man of the year back in 2009. Uh, just a fierce competitor. You could tell that when you would watch him on the mound. You could tell that from how he did in those playoff huge moments. Uh, he's also a devoted follower of Jesus. And a lot of us watched in the Bay Area, which can be a very complex place, uh, religiously and culturally, the way that Jeremy navigated uh, being able to live out his faith in a way that was very winsome and very inclusive and very courageous and very open. And he kind of put on a clinic in that regard. He's an advocate for a number of great causes uh, to eliminate child poverty, super involved in the battle against human trafficking. And it was in that cause that I first heard him speak, and it was a very moving moment. He actually got a, an honorary degree from Whitworth University for his humanitarian efforts. 
Uh, he has written a book on this stuff. His commitment to integrity is so high that he actually gave the Giants back half a million dollars that he did not have to give to them that they gave through a clerical era, error. Um, he is married, and he lives on a ranch in Texas with their three sons and 27 goats and kangaroos and uh, just barely a dog. And um, God has given to Jeremy a, a gift of a tremendous intensity of spirit and a deep commitment to uh, being real and unmasked and unfilters in ways that the church needs, but often, for whatever reason, the church tends not to provide. And I think the more that Jeremy just feels free and at home and unfiltered here, the more God will use this time in everybody's life. So I'm going to ask Jeremy to come up. Would you make him feel really at home and let him know how glad you are that he's here? Good morning. Oh, what? That was better than how it started when you played a video calling me a non-athlete. That didn't make me feel... <laughs> felt better with the claps right there. That's yeah. good. That's good. Wasn't my idea. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time on this weekend and uh, being away from your family, and we're really grateful. It's wonderful to have you here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this weekend uh, is going to involve moments that for most of us, you know, we cannot even imagine what it's like to be on a field of competition, the whole world watching, win or lose, hero or goat, but you have been there. And uh, three World Series championships, uh, just to take one example, in 2014, you were the winning pitcher in the deciding game of the pennant, and then it's game seven of the World Series, it's only the second inning, and you are brought into the game, uh, winning or losing, riding on every pitch. What what is a moment like that like? Uh, it's very, a, lot, a lot of anxiety because uh, you're looking at a town that loves baseball. And if you tank it, you, you're the scapegoat and everybody hates you. So you're, you're trying, to, trying to battle that thought process. What helped me was two things. One is Bruce Bochy, so our manager, called me into the, to the, his office before the game. And he said, hey, look, you know, Hudson, starting pitcher, Timmy, he, Tim Hudson, not Linscombe, but Hudson, Tim Hudson was starting, and he's like, dude, that dude's really old, man. He's like 60. So he's like, he might not make it past, I don't know how long it's going to go. It's not actually that old. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 60-ish. Yeah. yeah. And, and so he, he, he was like, I don't know if he's going to make it one pitch. I, I just don't know. He's super tired. So, and, and we don't have any room for error. We can't give them any kind of leeway. So anytime, if it looks like it's going to be bad or if they're starting to get to them, I'm going to put you in the game. So you need to put both your knee braces on, tape yourself up to hold yourself together. I was really beat up uh, back then. And so he's like, whatever you need to do to get your body in a position to pitch early, I need you to do it right now. So I was ready. I had my cleats on. I had my knee braces strapped to my legs. And, uh, and, and, and I was out there and he... he, he before you know it, it is. He brings me in in the second inning. And I, I mean, I knew I'd go to me early, but that was <laughs> really early. Uh, and so I was warming up, and I'm running into the game. And the problem is, is uh, Boach doesn't know that I can't see. Like, I've got this eye problem that the trainers are trying to help me with, but we can't figure out. But we also know that Boach, he has heart problems. So we were like, man, you better not tell him now, because... Dude, we only got one set of defibrillators. 
So we can't, we gotta just go with it. So I'm running in and I'm, I'm warming up. And my problem is, is I was on pregnizone, an anti-inflammatory, because I was actually feeling old too. And it, I was hurting. And so I got on this prednisone. Well, when you mix stress, and I'm back in Kansas City where I had made it to the big leagues the first time. So dealing with that, it's the first time I've been back in, in that town pitching against them. So to be back in that situation on that sta stage in that stadium, it, I had a lot of internalized stress. And when you take the stress and then prednisone, a lot of times one of the side effects of prednisone is you, you develop a, a water bubble on your eye. Problem is most people get them on the side of their eye and so their peripheral looks kind of hazy. Well, I had one right on the middle of my pupil. And I'm looking at Buster, and he's jumping at me like this. Like, it's like 3D, because basically you're looking through a glass of water and then a regular eye. So your eyeball is fighting so hard to like, just get it into focus, that I literally saw two of Buster, but like this. And so I'm trying to pitch, and I'm like, man, I think he's the one on the left. And <laughs> If you've seen me pitch, it wasn't like I was very accurate, you know? Like, half the time I'd hit the dirt and then Buster would be jumping. Like, I didn't really have a good chance of throwing it over the white part of the plate a lot of times. I just hope they were hitters. Hitters are stupid, so they'll swing at whatever. So I was like, hopefully he swings at this one, you know? And so I'm like, I'm like man, I, I'm like focusing. And then by the, and I, I get that big double play in the second inning, or the third inning. So the second inning I was out there, and I was so thankful because I was like, man, I don't know how much... I mean, I'm throwing balls up there, and the umpire's calling strikes, and I'm like, oh, thank God. Like, I'm picking the right one. Like, this is great. I mean, I should go to Vegas. Like, I'm guessing right every time. And, and so Buster comes down. He's like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, doing great. And I'm, I'm squinting, and I'm dropping eye, eye drops in my eye because I'm thinking maybe I have dry eye or something. So I'm like, trying to lose. he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, I can't see. He's like, what? I'm like, bro, like, I'm seeing two of you. And, 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 and you're kind of like overlapping. So I'm trying to guess on, when I see your finger, I'm like thinking it's fastball and hopefully you're not throwing down change up because that would be bad. And then um, you're kind of moving and he was like, we gotta we got tell Boach. I'm like, you, you better not, man. It'll be really bad. It's game seven and like, have you seen him? He's got like seven things to dip in. He's drinking coffee. He's trying, <laughs> freaking out. Like, I was like, we need to like keep him calm as he can be, you know? He's like, but you can't see. I'm like, ah, I'll be, I'll be fine. So I run back out there, and my first pitch hits the grass. And he stands up and looks at me. I'm like, give me the ball. It's a 50-50 chance, bro. Like, I just guessed wrong. Like, and he's like, oh, he gets behind. I hit Gordon in the back. And he looked at me. I'm like, 50-50, bro. Like, I guessed wrong. Like, and somehow I get out of it. And I'm like, this is awesome. And Bum comes running in, and I'm sitting there. I get super nervous. I start shaking because I started realizing that I was in game seven. Like, the, the, the eye stuff made me so focused on that that I wasn't really focused on the pressure of the game. And I just used some sort of distraction to not let me understand the, 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 the platform that I was on. And I came through. So to be honest with you, I know everybody's like, oh, you're this, those numbers in playoff history, what you do different? I'm like, man, I just guessed right promise you like it wasn't any skill set I just threw it up there and was like please hit it to somebody you know it's kind of I heard no trick for me like I wasn't Mariano Rivera I just hoped that Crawford could feel the ball and good thing he can so now you have a name for your memoirs hitters are stupid yeah hitters are stupid man yeah. they are man they are so dumb I mean they see that you can throw the rosin bag and someone's gonna try to swing at that thing man like if it's white coming at them they're swinging like they got no idea like they're not very intelligent I'm telling you
So, uh, it's an amazing career, and you were telling me about, you know, there were times that were so low, you felt like you were ready to quit, and then other times you're, like, setting records for scoreless innings in the playoffs. What's your biggest thrill? Uh, there's, man, there's a, there's a lot of them. Um, game six in Philly, I just wanted to be a person of impact. I hadn't pitched in 10 days. I wanted to do something great, and I was praying about it. I was like, God just put, and he did. I mean, that, at that time, it was the greatest thrill. Detroit game four, getting brought in, running in from the uh, bullpen, feeling like God told me tonight, I'm gonna expand your, your influence. And I mean, I pitched really, two really tough innings uh, to end up winning in, in, in Detroit. And then obviously game seven. Uh, but you know, I, as I think through my life, you know, through my baseball career, you know, being able to retire and get a speech. Like, mid-relievers don't get speeches on fields, you know? We're like the guy, like, when you decide to retire, they're like, thank God we got open payroll, you know? We, we shedded some money, you know? We don't, we don't get the whole, like, hey, why don't you give a speech on the field and tell the fans goodbye? So when they, when they came to me and said that, they, they flew everybody in that, I, that had ever had influence in my life. It was amazing. I mean, there was like 25, 30 people they flew in. And I got to say thank you to the fans, to my family, to my bride, who had, that's a tough ride on families, to my sons. And the biggest, man, my dad stood up. My dad's a military guy, so he's not very lovey-dovey, you know? And, and he got up in the middle of my speech, he walked over and he gave me the biggest bear hug that he's ever mm. given me, man. And, and just the closure that I received mm. and being able to thank people and fans in front of, you know, 30,000, 40,000 people was wow. phenomenal. And it, honestly, that was one of the, probably the biggest thrill I've ever had is to be able to walk away from the game on my own, knowing what I achieved, but also being able to thank publicly who needed to be thanked for, for helping me get to where I was at. Well, that kind of gets to uh, uh, another issue when you've got a, the baseball side of your life, that journey, which is famous and remarkable, but then there's the inner spiritual journey and faith is real important to you. So Tell us about that. Yeah, faith was really important to me. I, I mean, I grew up in, a, like I said, a military home. We bounced around everywhere. We went to every type of church imaginable because on the, on the bases, military bases, you're just trying to find whatever you can find. And my, my, my mom and dad were, were, were heavily faith-based. So I grew up in the church twice on Sunday, on Wednesday. I mean, I had some serious dose of Jesus coming at me uh, when I was growing up. Uh, and, and, and I just... But when I signed out of high school, I, I signed out of high school and I went to the furthest part of America. So I was in Washington State when I went to high school and I was signed and they sent me to Fort Myers, Florida to be on my own. And I mean, far away. Like I over, tried to overnight my dirty clothes to my mom because I didn't know how to wash my clothes. And she was like, no, figure it out on your own. You're not overnighting me your clothes. I mean, it was a rough gig for me on my own. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, but, all, but on Sundays, we had Sundays off. And I had to decide whether I was going to sleep in like most of my teammates did. We, we, we played in the day in Fort Myers, Florida in the summer. I mean, it was hot. And they were just tired. Or, or get up. And I, I ended up getting up. And I started going to church on my own. And I started reading the Bible. And my biggest thing was I don't want my mom's Jesus, my dad's Jesus, mm. my family's Jesus. One of the 15 denominational churches I went to is Jesus. I want who Jesus is to me. Like, I, I want to know him for me, from where I'm at. And he... And, but when I took that risk, like he took me on an interesting, <laughs> interesting journey, and and I've been through a lot of it, and and I've doubted myself, I've doubted him, I've 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 tried to understand him, I've 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 misunderstood him, I've yelled at him, I've laughed with him. I mean, we've done some serious scenarios 
and usually when I yell, I've never won yelling at them, but I still do it <laughs> just because I got to try. Um, but, you know, I, 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 and now even today, uh, like uh, new chapters and, and God's just different every time I, I go, I get up and there's a new chapter in life and I'm trying to see him differently and he's yeah. meeting me uh, differently. So faith has been always been a part of me and who I am. And it's an important time because he creates a safe place for me to be me. Uh, and, and he allows me to, to just, I, I can't be me unless I'm safe. And, and he created that safe place for me and, and, and let me mess up and had a lot of grace for me. And I've really enjoyed my time. Well, we were talking about uh, what you've actually been thinking and writing about at, at this juncture in your life. And it kind of has to do with uh, this odd dynamic when you do what you do on that stage and you had people cheering for you, people crazy, want you to sign a piece of paper, uh, you're a hero, you're a celebrity, you get paid money, uh, and then you go home and you walk through the door. So is it the same way when you walk through the door? Is your wife asking for your autograph? Is it like that kind of... Oh, gosh, this is a celebrity. We're just yeah. so glad we get to have a little time with you. What's, how does it work when you're going from that outer world to the inner world? <clears throat> no, my, my wife did not want my autograph for some reason. Uh, I married a Viking, so I don't know if you, I, I, I'll, I'll put myself out there. I watched the show Viking. I know it's gory and whatever. There's some scenarios you probably don't want to see, but I watch it, and there's a Viking warrior princess on there, and my wife and I will watch it together, and I just look over at her, and she'll just be like, what? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you came directly from that woman's loins. Like, <laughs> like when I got home, it wasn't like, here's a fork in a, in, a, in a dish of food. It was like, you cross her, the sword's coming out, and you better be running, you know? My wife is like that, and, and uh, it, it was not that for me. But unfortunately, when I played, yeah. we have that subconscious scenario, because the majority of our life is at that field at that stadium. I'm at the field from one o'clock to 11 o'clock every day at home. And on the road, we're gone 24 seven. And you're walking down the street, people are asking, saying hi, whatever they do autograph wise. And I wasn't even a buster. Like, I mean, people would ask for that and just, I'm not a superstar, right? And so it's, it's very difficult and you just find it's very difficult to come home and change the mask, right? Because I had to wear them. Because here's, here's the thing about baseball players, and a lot of people in general, but especially for whatever I think athletes, we don't trust very well because we don't know why you want to know us. So we don't, we don't know why you come up to us. We don't know why you talk to us. We don't know what you're getting at. We always want to know your angle because we're always wondering about that. So it's hard to make friends. It's hard to, you know, like to, when people, hey, can I ask media? If there's media in here, I apologize, but I do not trust you at all. Because media, they ask a question for a reason. There, there's always an agenda. There's always uh, an angle. And you're either going to take what I say and you're going to completely twist. So I'm going to answer your question, but then you're going to put that answer into your story and it could make me look bad. And, 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 and so one thing we do have comfort in is our teammates don't believe anything that is, is written in the media. We'll read it and be like, that is not at all what that guy was talking about. You know, like we understand that, but a lot of people don't. And so we, you're gonna bury us if we do bad, you're gonna praise us if we do good. There's no truth to, to that situation. So as athletes, we're really guarded people. And we get letters upon letters, I'll have stacks of mail of people asking me for money just because why, I mean, I don't even know you and you need money, you know? So there's mm. just not a lot of trust. Problem is, is when I put on that mask, 
I've got to be tough, man. I, I have to put on this mask that says when I mess up that day, I'm going to get the dumb question every time. So what happened out there? You, you watching the game? I hung a curveball. The guy hit a three-run homer. You an idiot? Like I, 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 like, I blew it. What do you mean what happened out there? You know? <laughs> well, are you, what, I mean, do you, what, what is it? I mean, you're out there and you lost right there. What was the feeling? Oh, it was great. <laughs> like... These, you're like thinking, man, so you put on this mask and you're like cliche. You know what, man? I messed it up. Son's going to come up tomorrow, take full responsibility. Uh, you know, whatever. Whatever the cliche answers you guys hear ballplayers always give, right? Because we put that mask on because mm. we have to be tough because we can't give in and we don't want anybody to think we're weak. Mm. Well, when we go home, it's the same exact deal. So we go home and we got to put on this tough mask and we, we, our wives don't know if we're mad, if we're angry, if we're sad, if we're ashamed. They don't know because we can't allow weakness to happen because it's like I'm the head of this family and I got to be that person that's tough. My kids need to see a dad that's strong and he's a warrior and, you know, like all these things. And I found out in 2013 in spring training that was the wrong way to go. Hmm. My wife threw me out of the house in spring training and she separated from me. And this was like two months after I talked to, talked to the church a year. I was like, oh, man, that's going to go over real well. Uh, and and I'm out, I, find, I find myself in the pool house living. And my wife's saying, you can hang out with the kids. And then when they go to bed, you got to leave. We had a blow up one night, and it just got enough for her. I was very verbally abusive uh, to my wife, to my children. Uh, when I got scared, I couldn't tell anybody I was scared, so I reacted in anger. That's mm. what I do. I still do it. When I get scared and when, I'm, when I hide, I, I just lash out. I just get angry. And, 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 and so for me, I did it one night, and, and it got to a point where she had enough. I mean, I told my wife one time she was on full scholarship. Yeah, I hear the silence. Like, you're an idiot. You know, I wouldn't say that. Like, I told her, you're on full scholarship. You got everything. Just sit there and live your happy life. You know, it's all taken care of. Like, I was such a control freak, angry person that when I came home, I just didn't know how to be me, and I didn't like my kids. I loved them, but I did not like them. And I loved my wife, I did not like her. And I didn't know how to be a husband, I didn't know how to be a dad. I, I was drowning in my fears, but I had to put this mask on that, no, nothing bothers me, I'm fine, everything's great. When I'd see people, I'm, I'm super awesome, blessed, you know. How you doing this morning for the fans? Oh, I'm great, how are you? You know, and, but, and I'm not great. And I had to meet with a guy I ended up meeting a guy named Bill Thrall. I met him in Arizona when I was out of the house because I, I, my wife said, you, get, you need to go get better. Don't find a counselor and don't go through a five-step process. So I don't have really any options to get better. So I'm like trying to figure out what to do. And I called a few people that came, to my, came running and they said, we're going to help you, man. We, we love you and we know this isn't you. So we need to help. And, and Bill came up to me and he said something very interesting to me. I was going through a lot of anger and blaming my wife. Well, she doesn't respect me. She doesn't respect what I do for her, what I do for the family. She, I'm working hard every day. I, I just went through all this stuff why everything was her fault that I'm out of the house. Because I'm dealing with a contentious wife. And, and I'm just, she's not respecting me. She's not submitting. I went through all this stuff. And he, he just sat there and listened to me. And he said, Jeremy, do you trust well? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, well, do you trust your wife with you? I'm like, yeah, I married her. He said, all right. He's like, well, think about it if you trust do you trust her with you, your person? Your, have you ever revealed your inner being, like how you are? And I, I, I sat there and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And he said, Jeremy, I want you to go home right now and I want you to look up all the verses in the Bible that say, wives love your husbands. And I was on it. 
because I was like, I'm going to stick her, man. She's, I'm, this is going to be her fault. She should be in the pool house, you know? And, 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 and uh, I, man, I'm up all night. I went through like every translation ever created, even ones that are made up. I was like, maybe it's made up. I went to the Hebrew. I went to everything I could possibly find. There is no verse in the Bible that say, I don't know if you know this, but it doesn't say wives love your husbands anywhere. And I'm like, what? This can't be right. So I called Bill and I'm like, man, I can't find it. He's like, it's not in there. Well, you could have saved me six hours of a headache, man. I went through all kinds of stuff. I didn't even know certain translations existed and I found them. Like I, I, and he was like, yeah, now, but now go through and just do the other. Do the husbands love your wives. I mean, I didn't have to because, you know, it's all over through scripture. And he said, Jeremy, I got to ask you one question. Why do, you, why do you love Jesus? And I sat there for a moment and he said, I said, I can give you the religious answer. And he said, go ahead. I said, okay, well, because he first loved me. That's what I've always been told. He said, well, that's true. And he's like, well, what does Ephesians say about marriage? I said, well, love your wife like Christ loves the church. And then he just stared at me. And I just stared back at him. And he's a 70-year-old man, so I thought he fell asleep. You know, like, <laughs> my, like are, we, are we still talking or, you know? And, and he's just sitting there, and I said, oh, man, I think I messed up. And he's like, well, that's obvious. You're in the pool house. I was like, well... <laughs> I'm just saying, I think I messed up on my whole theology. If my wife wants respect, and she, wa or she wants me to love her, then I, she needs to respect me. Like, she's not providing an environment for me to love her. And I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. And he's like, no, it's not. He's like, Jeremy, when you said I do, you said that you were gonna love your wife first. Hmm. Not only if she respects you, not only if the environment's perfect, because if my wife wasn't, my kids weren't in this little box, if they got out of it, I yelled, I verbally abused, I scared them, I got mad, I controlled everything just to kind of get them back in this box, right? And if they were in that box and they did what I said, everything's great. But as soon as they tried to be them and be their own person, I didn't like that. And he said, Jeremy, you don't trust your wife to love you. And you have not given her permission to love you. And you've kept her from loving you. And you're in a situation now where now you're reacting because you, you, you feel ashamed. And I said, well, I don't know what to do. And he's like, I want you to go home and ask your wife if she'd teach you to be a husband. And I looked at him. I said, there's no shot in hell. I'm going to ask that woman to teach me how to be a husband. <laughs> like, he's like, Jeremy, what was the rule that we had when we started? I was like, if I don't want to get help not on my terms, then you won't help me. He's like, yeah, you, I need you to go ask her, and if you don't, then you're doing it on your terms. I can't help you. Fine. So I went back home, and I looked at my wife, and I said, hey, I'm meeting with this guy named Bill, and I, he needs me to ask you a question, because she's looking at me, like, how dare you talk to me? You're not allowed to, I don't exist to this woman. Literally, dude, she hadn't looked at me, talked to me, said anything for three weeks. I'll be with my kids, and she'll walk right by me. I mean, I'll be hanging out with my kids, and she'll come and get my kids, take them in the car, and leave. No, no, no I, I don't, I'm, I'm like literally not existing. And, 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 she, and I said, hey, I know that that's the boundary we've set, but I, this is what he's asked me to do. And she said, okay. I said, so can you, would you be mind sitting down? And so she sat down, and I knelt before her, and the look on her face, she looks at me, and it's like, so help me, if you get out that bowl of water in a washcloth and try to wash my feet, I'm going to slap you upside your head. <laughs> like, do not go with that spiritual route. Like, oh, I want to serve you and wash your feet. We're not doing that. I'm like, honey, I promise you. <laughs> I'm not getting a bowl out. I'm not doing that. I didn't even think of that. 
but good thing I didn't, you know? <laughs> so so, so I, I was sitting there and I said, I just, I gotta ask you a question. And she, I, said, I said, would you be willing to teach me how to be a husband? And she looked at me and she lit up. She's like, absolutely. And I was like, what? That's all that it took for me to get back in the communication with you for three weeks? Three weeks, I'm in non-existent. And all I had to do was ask her. So I called Bill. And I'm like, you're a woman, man. <laughs> and he's like, what? I'm like, there is no way that a man would know to go ask a woman to teach him how to be a husband and think that that would clear everything up unless you have like that whole like woman whisperer scenario going on. And he's like, Jeremy, I did one thing. I asked you to relinquish control. Hmm become vulnerable, tell your wife that you're basically, you can't do it without her, and she has permission to speak into your life. So what you've done is you've trusted, you've given permission for her to love you, became vulnerable to tell her where you're affected, where you're wounded, where you're scared, and you're allowing her to be able to say, look, this is when you do this, this is how you affect me. So now what I've done in your marriage is all I've simply done was asked you to lead by becoming vulnerable, trusting and giving her permission to love you. And in turn, she is already giving you permission to love her. Women do that very, very easily. That's why they get hurt so quickly. And he said, so you, she's given that to you, but she doesn't trust that you're gonna speak to her and, 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 and wanna protect her. She doesn't think you're gonna protect her. You keep wounding her. And when I started doing this, our whole marriage changed. And what she said to me one day, she said, Jeremy, when you tried to tough mask me, put on that mask, if I'm tough, I'm fine. She goes, I saw a weak human being and I cannot respect a man that's weak because he cannot protect me. Hmm. But when you became vulnerable in what you think is weakness, I saw a man of strength that could actually protect me because he's willing to let me in and we're, we're in this together. I've started running my marriage, my children, I give my children permission to speak to me, huh. I ask permission to speak to them where I was raised and I, you know, you know don't, I don't have to ask my son permission for anything, I'm yeah. dad. No, I ask permission because if they're not willing to hear me, then I'm getting what I need to say out but my kids are resenting me. My friendships, I'm doing my friendships like this. I'm trying to create communities of trust where I can literally be Revelations 3.20 where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock and if anybody invites me in, I will dine with them. When Jesus himself, the king of kings, has to ask permission to be into my life, why do I think that I don't have to ask permission to me in my wife's life, my children's life, or my friend's life? They have to give you permission because if they don't give you permission, they won't let you in. They won't be vulnerable and you'll have no idea how to protect them. And my, my ability to wound my wife, scare my wife, react, yell, verbally abuse, did nothing but my wife put up walls like this and my wife's like, you're not getting in. You're never coming in. You're never getting in here. And she finally said, you're not gonna do this to our children and you're not gonna do this to me. So if you cannot protect us, then get out. And I understood it for the first time. And, and I wish I would have known a lot earlier because there's wounds I'm dealing with that I, that I had done yeah. to my wife that we're trying to work through. But the reality of it is, man, is I have learned that vulnerability and transparency is something most people cannot have because they're so scared of being judged. And it's too big of a risk. And relationships are too messy. But if Jesus is willing to take that risk on us, why can't I take that risk on my family mm. and my sons and raise them in a way that, hey, man, this is where daddy hurts. This is where I messed up. Dad, you yell at me, you, you were too harsh. Okay, I'm sorry. Why can't I, I can say sorry to my children. There's no reason I can't. But when I was a control freak, I could not say sorry to my family. I could not say sorry to my, I was always right. They were always wrong. Because that's what I do as a man. 
And that was not a good idea. And now I, I, I try my best to let people know that, man, vulnerability, creating an avenue and an atmosphere of trust, of safe, safe places are places where people can be them, not be judged, not be fixed. People can be them. My children are gonna be my children. My boys have brains of their own. My wife has a brain of her own. I need to just love them where they're at and learn what they need from me and share with them when I'm scared and how they're affecting me. When they act a certain way, they affect me. I'm a human being. I have the right to share that. And I've created that in my environment, in my household, where I can share now where I'm affected. Because when I'm scared, that mask goes on of toughness, and I, I, I get angry. So let me ask you one more question. We haven't done this one before, but uh, Jeremy was telling me when he was with the Giants, uh, uh, we were talking about just culture in organizations, church, baseball club, and, and you love culture and love to build culture. And then uh, Matt Cain said, and there was other language for this, but, but one form of the language was, you guys were kind of bad cop, good cop, that you would get in people's faces, yeah. and then Matt would come and clean up the mess. Yeah. And it's part of how God has wired you up, is to be real, uh, insistent on reality, and impatience with hiding, and challenge people. So, free shot, here's a church full of people, and you know the church, you know what Jesus can do when people get real. You know how churches can get messed up when people hide. As you think about the journey that you have been on and that you're still on right now, and you have this church of people, you can say anything to challenge them in the way that you think Jesus would want them to be challenged. Free shot, what would you say? Um, to sum it up, I, I think what I, what I do with my family and what I do with my relationships as I just tell people, it's more important that you don't fix me and that I don't fix you than it is for you not to hide. I don't want you to hide. So hiddenness cannot happen because if you hide, I can't help. I can't love you, I can't protect you. So it's more important that you don't hide than it is to be fixed. So often we wanna fix, we're fixers. That's not what people need. People don't need to be fixed. Most of these people live in their shame because they know they're wrong. They know they're hiding. They know their guilt. They don't need to be told they're wrong. They don't, need, they, don't need, they don't need a three-step process. A lot of people just need a hug. And they just need to be let known that they exist. And if I had anything to tell the church, what I would like to see the church in the church body, not this church, the church in whole, is man, it is so important that we not hide and it's way more important that we not hide than we get fixed. Jesus does that. And that, to me, is the, the atmosphere that I'm hoping churches provide is a safe place where that can happen. Well, we want to be that kind of place. I'd love to say a prayer. And, and I just want to say, uh, if there's any area of your life where you need help, and maybe it's in a marriage or in a relationship or uh, something internally in your heart, uh, we got life groups all over the place that would love to love you and help you. you can talk to a campus pastor. Uh, go online, we've got resources there. We'd love to be a part of that. Whatever you've done, however you might feel like you have messed up, it is never beyond the power of Jesus and the grace that got released through the cross. And that's really what we're, we're in the business of creating a community that's just in the shadow of the cross. And uh, God would want you to know that. So let's pray.
Just take a moment to get real before God. Whatever that hidden place is, that habit, that pattern, anger, sex, money, relationship, fear, Get real with God right now. God, I pray for everybody listening. I pray for me, my family, my brother Jeremy and his. Think about in your word, God, where it says that if we walk in the light, as you are in the light, we confess our sins. You are faithful and just to forgive. So God, let us be that kind of a place. Thank you for your grace that is stronger than our shame. Thank you that you are the God that fixes and uh, release that in all of our lives. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I really do think to be that kind of community where it really is true, everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, anything's possible. Uh, this weekend is a real significant moment in that. And um, Jeremy, I just think God is using you and will be using you in all kinds of hearts, and we're so mm -hmm. grateful. Can we thank Jeremy for his courage to do that? Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. That's yeah. great. Awesome. Yeah.